national health regulations provide a vital legal framework for responding to the global spread of disease. But the pandemic has exposed shortcomings in the application and implementation of the IHR that I believe are best addressed with a convention, agreement, or other international instrument. We have treaties and other international instruments against tobacco, nuclear, chemical, and biological weapons, climate change, and many other threats to our shared security and well-being. As you know, in December, the World Health Assembly made the historic decision to negotiate a WHO convention, agreement, or other international instrument to strengthen pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. This agreement, I hope, will be a generational agreement. It could be a game changer. An intergovernmental negotiating body, an INB, has now been established and has begun its work. Its outcome is to be submitted to the World Health Assembly in 2024. It includes countries from all regions and all income levels and is chaired by Dr. Precious Masoso of South Africa and by Dr. Roland Dres of the Netherlands with vice chairs from Brazil, Egypt, Japan and Thailand. Under their leadership, the IMB is operating based on the principles of inclusiveness, transparency, efficiency, and consensus. As part of, of, of the decision in December, the World Health Assembly asked me to hold public hearings to inform the IMB's deliberations. Public participation is crucial to that effort. Our constitution says informed opinion and active cooperation on the part of the public are the utmost importance in the improvement of the health of the people. We're very pleased to have a wide range of participants today, from civil society, the private sector, independent experts, as well as philanthropic, academic, and international organizations. We're starting with the basics. Today's guiding question is, as Dr. Mahjur said, what substantive elements do you think should be included in a new international instrument on pandemic preparedness and response? I repeat, what substantive What substantive elements do you think should be included in a new international instrument on pandemic preparedness and response? We look forward to hearing from you. The success of the future instrument depends on it. Ultimately, whatever instrument comes, this process will affect everyone. So it's vital that we get the widest possible range of inputs. Thank you all for your engagement at this historic moment. I hope the legacy of this meeting, of the negotiating process, and the pandemic itself is a healthier, safer, fairer world for generations to come. A world together. 
and thank you for joining the work on this generational agreement, which we believe, I repeat, which we believe is a game changer. I thank you. As I say, that was WHO Director General Dr. Tedros, as he's often referred to, giving the opening remarks at the public hearings for the new global pandemic treaty earlier this month. And as I say, the entire live stream is up on the inb.who.int webpage, at least as I record this here in late April of 2022. I expect it will not be up there forever, so if you're truly keen on it, I would suggest now is the time to watch and or download these live streams for posterity. Although I can't in all honesty really heartfully recommend that. I suppose, as I say, I never dissuade people from taking a look at things. I'd say there's not a lot of meat on the bones here with regards to actual information that I think is really important for people to see because it really does consist essentially not of the WHO actually engaging in any sort of talk about what this treaty will include or what have you. It really is a public hearing for various public comment, quote-unquote, on not the actual necessity for such a treaty, but what should be included in this treaty, which they are working on. And you will note the framing of this, as Dr. Tim Ball made the point many, many years ago, and I think it's an important one, commissions are always truly determined, and perhaps over-determined, by their their uh, scope and what they what it is they are supposed to be looking for. So if the IPCC is only interested in human causation of climate change, you better believe they're going to find and be and and talk about and only dwell on human causation of climate change. And then people will report, oh my God, humans are causing climate change. And in this case as well, if the WHO invites public comment on what should be included in our global treaty, which we will then enforce with an iron fist? What should we have in there? And then they listen politely, and then they go ahead and do whatever they were going to do in the first place. But perhaps that's just me being cynical. Anyway, of course, even even that is somewhat laughable, because, of course, the public comment is only really open to people who are part of international or at least big-scale NGOs of some sort that have a direct bearing and interest on the work of the WHO, etc., etc. So they already pre-screen any sort of public comment that takes place. So I have not watched every second of every every one of these four live streams that are up there that consist of several hours of material at this point. I have flipped through quite a lot of it, though, and it consists of comment after comment after comment from various organizations talking about the need for inclusivity and fairness and equity and please give us your life-saving vaccines and that sort of thing. Um, There were a couple of comments um, that were interesting uh, in that they actually were arguing for the right to be enshrined in whatever treaty is being worked on for people, say, to refuse medical treatment or to at least decide what medical treatment they want to have. And there was uh, a comment talking about the need for uh, looking at other types of treatments other than simply vaccines and things along those lines. So there was some interesting comment, but again, take it for what it is, which is simply public comment on what the treaty should include, not the existence of the treaty. So as I say, I think Tedros's opening remarks are a good place to start our examination because they do give us an insight and a window onto what this treaty is about, where it's coming from, and 
broadly what it's aiming at. But perhaps the first place to go, if we really want to get a handle on this, is to the website of William Engdahl, williamengdahl.com, who had this post up at the very beginning of the scandemic, 18th of February 2020, about who is whose Tedros Adenom, going into the, the background of this character, in case you don't know who Dr. Tedros is and where he emerged from, you can get some more information about uh, about his role at the WHO and how he arrived there, um, and his somewhat controversial past, including ties, as you would expect. Nothing, I think, particularly surprising here, but ties to the President Clinton and a close collaboration with the Clinton uh, Clintons and the Clinton Foundation and its Clinton HIV AIDS initiative, and of course a close relationship with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who and he went on to. T- Uh, chair the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis, and Malaria that was co-founded by the Gates Foundation. And I think the implication is that Tedros is in the position he's in because he is so connected specifically to people like the Gateses and uh, is willing to listen to what his paymasters tell him to do, Um, which is a point that I made in the Who is Bill Gates documentary. At that time, uh, citing the most recent donor reports at that time, I believe the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was the second largest donor to the WHO, uh, only behind the United States. Uh, I believe that has changed in the most recent data that I've seen, although I couldn't refine that data in preparation for this episode, but I'm sure people can find it out there. I think they might have slipped down to third or fourth at this point, um, as China and others are upping their game in terms of trying to contribute more to have a bigger say at what's happening at the WHO as it increases in importance precisely because of things like the Global Pandemic Treaty. So you can see that today we're working hard to come through with a lot of this this good conversation that's coming across, the mass consciousness of the American intellectual uh, progress that, that we're making here as uh, the, the technology is creating, it's helping to facilitate a mass awakening and information is traveling very fast, information is viral they're not really able to contain or control information the way that they could in the, in the 80s and the 90s we're at a point when the, the energy behind this move towards internationalism and globalism becomes something of an occult power structure that's behind the scenes and now we can see that the all the different digital transactions all the different development of these scientific papers and the the conflict that's happening the the academic classes who are pointing out that many of these these people that have credentials can't be trusted and a lot of these academics and doctors and the people leading the arena of this biosecurity state that they're, they're developing are people who are highly political and highly ideological, and they're they're being and corrupted by the old system of nobility and aristocracy. Like we were saying before, we, you know, I tried to include a nice article about the the Knights of Malta have a, a Maltese hospital in Jordan in the area around Jerusalem, around Israel proper, so that they have their own hospital system that uh, has been in place for a very long time. And they have been hospitalers for a long time. And they have been on the cutting edge of working out and healing injuries on the battlefield so that their soldiers and their their warriors and their their, uh, 
their warfare can be affected. And so this history of the hospital or nights and, and their history with the island of Rhodes, their history with uh, on Malta after the Templars were, were disassembled and destroyed and were made target of the great inquisitional powers of the papacy so that the Templars were an incomparable force of wealth and military uh, strength dedicated to defending the papacy and their holdings in the Holy Land in the Jerusalem area, especially against the Muslims. And this, this connection between Islam and the Templar Knights, the, knight, the Papal Knights, would take place at this time as they were fighting the Saracens and the Muslims, the Ottoman Turks, and trying to control the Holy Land and trying to control Jerusalem and Israel, they would come into contact with the Hashishan sect, which was a secret occult sect of highly organized and highly trained assassins who were basically operating completely in the blind, but they could be hired out by people who knew they existed they basically were, and when their assassins were sent to kill someone, they, they would never fail, even if they had to kill themselves. Their, their fanaticism and their power over the fear of death was so complete in their training as hashashins, or hashishins, or the, as they're called, the, 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 the assassin cult. They were, they would believe that they would, if they had to kill themselves and give their life and their mission, that they would be sent to paradise. And so the Templars have a record in the history and a written account and a chronology of this interaction that with the, the man on the mountain, that's who he was called, the man who, who, who was the highest and most unassailably powerful captain of the Hashishan cult, the sect of the, the secret sect of the assassins, it was called the man on the mountain, and he was the, the general of their order. He was an, an absolute monarch of, the, of that system, of that secret system which there's not a lot known about it other than the Hashishans would use marijuana to a great extent even as a hallucinogen and other other things too to to as part of their training that's where the word hash comes in and relates to the idea of marijuana and so that's what they were famous for and kind of having grown the drug potency of THC to a massive extent and having developed it to a high degree so that it was beyond medicinal but it was something that was like I said hallucinogenic and a very active ingredient in their occult system so this secret society of assassins who existed up there in the mountains around Syria and who no one knew about was completely secret to the world was something that was very deadly and very dangerous and was something that finally reached out and ultimately made contact with the Templar Knights and they have, like I said, have an account of it. So this history, this interaction between these two two groups would become legendary and there would be a sort of meeting of the minds and a sort of a development of the two systems and they would merge in some level so that a lot of what the Hashishans and the, the sect of the, the assassins there, what they had as a way of secret knowledge and esoteric concepts and scientific remedies and, and secret knowledge and so on was made available to the Templars. And uh, conversely, the secret sect of the assassins grew to a great degree to find out that they had a lot to learn from the Templars. They had a lot to learn about how to make really good steel. 
had a lot to learn about the the, the way to to build with stone. So we did the, the stone work, the stone guilds. The stone guilds were legendary, and they would be the root foundation for the creation of Freemasonry later. The stone guilds would eventually, in their secrecy and their 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 use of sacred geometry to build uh, cathedrals and other unbelievably amazing architecture out of stone that we see all across Europe. Those kind of ideas and that kind of knowledge is something that would be passed on and taken up by and derived by the Hashishans, the secret sect of the assassins there. So that later on, I think that they came out of a mystic Sufi tradition. But like I said, I'll have to go back and take a look at the documentation and do look at the research but there was an exchange of occult ideas and mystical ideas between the Templars and the Hashishans so this is something that we need to bring to the forefront here because it has a lot to do with this connection between the papacy and Islam today so as we're moving forward as we're developing our storyline here it's important that we, we don't take our eye off the ball that the, the actual appearance of hospitals has everything to do with the hospital or knights of the Pope. And today we have hospitals on every corner, but we don't know very much about the ancient antiquity and the original genesis of the roots of those normal institutions that we see all around us today. So ultimately, this ability for them to take charge of your life because they have a hospital and they have doctors and they have the force of their unopposable medical science Right? They can make determinations, they can even put you in a 72-hour psychological evaluation and basically rope you off into a psych ward. They can, doctors have a lot of power. And so the power of this is growing to become more universal, as you can see with Dr. Anthony Fauci and this, this idea of, of um, medical science and the, the sorcerers thereof having the ability to ultimately make choices that affect the lives of everyone else in their life, in the, in the country, and ultimately when we see, when we're looking, we're basically zeroing in on this World Health Organization, we can see that that power structure of the biosecurity state isn't something that's just harassing different counties and different states here in America, but it's something that's it's attempting to raise itself up to become global and authoritarian and absolute, so that all these different nations of the world have to capitulate to the whims and the dictates of the World Health Organization. So that's kind of what we're bringing forth in this. We're trying to show the clips, show the information, show the analysis. It's kind of dense. There's a lot of information there. People don't want to do the, the intellectual, the rigorous academic tasking of going through and, and like looking at some of this. I'm just playing audio clips for you, but there's plenty of information that we can go over and try to add into this. And of course, I'd love your feedback. Go ahead and get the email, send me an email, talk to, to individuals here behind the book club. And the even the history of the American Medical Association, the AMA, was something that was established by members of Skull and Bones out of Yale. So even the American Psychological Association, other other big, overarching, all-encompassing boards of, of directors that are that we're supposed to all you know believe have this 
because they made an organization called the American Medical Association, we should all just, you know, do what they say and march lockstep to whatever their, their, their dictates are. So this goes back to the, the early 1900s when they come up and they create the American Medical Association. And this is guys out of Yale, not just Yale, member, Yale graduates and Yale alumni, but Yale Skull and Bones. And like we talked about that a lot before, that's just an entrance way. They're called knights when they, when they become Skull and Bonesmen. They, they're called knights. And they, they go, they have this, they're called, they're considered to be Knights of Eulogia. So this, this whole theme of bowing to the Pope and kissing the Pope's slipper, this whole theme of Pope worship, which goes way back, way past just being Catholic. I mean, if you're a Catholic and, and you, you engage in those particular practices, it's one thing, but, but being a Roman Catholic, in other words, taking all your Catholic direction from one center point in the Vatican and, and nowhere else, is, is a strange thing to me to think that people would do that. But that's what you're seeing here. You're seeing this ultramontane knighthood orders who serve the Pope, and they're really the ones who are behind instigating all this political power and plenary authority under the law to make all these dictates, you know, because supposedly they're they're there to, to help out someone. And they've taken an oath not to not to do any harm, but to only do good. And so it's a strange thing when you see that there are these different virologists and epidemiologists are, are, are fighting it out and doing battle over the different social media accounts. And then the social media accounts are taking turns either amplifying their message or, or conversely just striking their message down and taking them down and trying to control the narrative, trying to get everyone to believe that, that the information is, is like thus and such. And so no one, no one can dare question it. And so this Fauciism, this absolute biomedical security state that we're seeing developed is now becoming a global system. And it's been in the works for a long time. And it's coming online. And so we're working hard to really just bring this information out. And so if you just take a little time and run through the episodes here and just, and just look up the, the information that we're trying to get you to look at, you can see that the history is right there. And it's something that's being suppressed and it's not something that you can that anyone's going to wrap up in a neat little bow for you to find out but that's the underlying system of power that you're dealing with so it's not just the cabal of, of leftists right it's not just the cabal of international globalist rich guys which which those are those are not necessarily mutually exclusive things but the point is is that what you're seeing in operation behind the George Bush presidency behind all these different presidents and this move towards international power and this move towards the European Union and the development of that. What you're seeing is the outgrowth and the expression of the power of the Knights of the Pope. And there's different papal orders, orders of knights, and they're sworn to by holy Catholic religion, right? This is the thing that this is the unchanging motif that leads all the way back to the Inquisition to just ultimately do the will of their superiors without without question. So it's absolute authority, absolute unquestioning, unflinching authority to do what they're told to do. And it's this system of brainwashing and propaganda that we see really, really perfectly synthesized and, and distilled in the old the old man on the mountain and the old Hashishan cult, the sect of the assassins that, were, that the Templars just kind of came across. So they're so well hidden and camouflaged and covert that no one knew that they were really there until they kind of reached out, rode up on their horses, and they were part of the Islamic power structure that the the Pope's 
knights were fighting against. And so they understood that the, these mystical Sufi warriors, these the, these assassins, the sect of the assassins, they knew that they were skilled killers, dangerous warriors that, that had to be reckoned with. And so that kind of leads leads to this culmination point where the two sides are going to really synthesize and come together and learn from each other. And then, of course, later on, all the crusaders, crusader knights, they would come home to, to France. They would come home to Languedoc. Is that, is that right? This place in France, I, don't know, I can't speak French very well, but this place where there was this explosion and renaissance of new ideas and new information and new teachings, new medicines, new compounds, new wealth. It was pouring in to France from the Middle East after the Crusade Wars, and a lot of that energy also would be used to go after the Pope's enemies, whatever heretics he would declare. If the Pope declared you heretic, you could agree or not agree, it didn't matter. You were a heretic, and the men were going to come get you. So that's that's the unquestioning, uh, undeniable kind of religious absolutism and dictatorship that the papacy represented. Of course, in Islam, and it was not much different, they had a caliph who was the absolute god-man and religious high priest or the highest and really just unlimited sovereignty of this monarchical position that the, the caliphate commanded the power of God. And, and, and he, he, was, he was associated with Allah, the divinity, and he was associated with the monarchy, which is the temporal civil government, the rulership of the actual kingdom itself. So this is what you see over time. What's what you saw in, in, in Pharaoh. He was not just a king, but he was had unassailable power, and he was also the high priest of the cult of Ra, or the worship of Horus, and Set, and so on. So, you see the same thing in Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar. He, he has to practice the rituals, and he has absolute rulership, and the same thing with the papacy. And you don't see, you, you don't see that in our, in our country, and other countries too, where the, the secular role and the religious system are separated. So that the person who has legislative authority or who, the, who is the judge, the supreme judge or so on and so forth, isn't necessarily who, who makes, he's, he's ruling regarding the letter of the law, but he doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the divinity or the, the, the running of the religious system. And so that's the kind of detail that we're trying to point out to you here. We're trying to get into this next level of, of detail and, and the actual characteristics of this system that, that, is, that is coming into place. So as we're going through these, these um, remarks from these, these guys, they talk about the empire builders and this, this process of trying to build a universal world empire on the ashes of individual sovereign democratic nations. So you can't have democracy when you have an imperium. When you have a worldwide global imperium, everyone has to obey the imperator, so the, the emperor, the ruler. When we go back in history, we can see that just before the European Union, it was the Holy Roman Empire, and of course they have the Holy Roman Emperor, and so it comes back to this process of trying to put holy and empire together to make a God empire, to make a, a empire of your religion, and it's the same thing that, that Islam does. And so we can see as Protestant people, Protestant Bible believers, we're going to be on the other side of that, just like our founding fathers, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and so on, we're going to be men who want to have no world global empire, but we want a, a, a nation of our own to to operate and to, and to rule ourselves and have self-government and to follow the constitution that we set up for ourselves 
and to have freedoms and liberties as free men in this blessed democratic republic where we get to vote and choose our own direction politically with political liberty. And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the difference between these knights who serve the king and the pope and we have over here free men who have liberty and who have gold and silver money and who have their own ability to navigate the frontier of the world freely. And so all these different agendas, the environmental, Agenda 22, Agenda 33, Agenda agenda what have you, Agenda 21, United Nations systems that, that they're trying to bring online, these different kind of treaties for the, the environment, treaties for world health, uh, powers over our, our country and so on and so forth. We have to just work hard to stay on top of what these issues are. So before I go any further, let me just go ahead and we'll, we'll come back to these issues again. And we're working hard to establish the different facts behind these issues. And I think it's, it's important to understand that as, as an American freeman who is interested in, in a small federal government, who's interested in having the sovereignty and the, in, in the independence of your own nation and a strong military and the ability for you to defend your own nation, your own front door and your own home, it, it's absolutely, totally diametrically opposed to the aristocracy of the princes and the nobility of Europe who are there just to ride their horses over top of the serfs. Because the serfs are the little people. They're just the little the little people on the land who just dig dig mud huts and they really have you know they have really have no standing and they have no no rights and they and you can just mow them down if you feel like it. Um, you, you can press them into service to go to war if you want. You can you can have prima nocta like remember Braveheart prima nocta. So you can if you're the the landlord, you're the, you're the nobleman of the land. You can come down on the first night of marriage and bang and bang the lady first. If, you know before before the husband gets to get in the marriage bed, he gets to have the first shot. Right? That was prima nocta. That's what they were doing in Scotland. That's what the nobility could do. So don't don't try to act like you're gonna be a knight of Columbus and you're gonna be a pope a pope worshiper and you're into the Vatican and you can actually be a freeman with democratic values in America and this republic because they're opposite things. So you can't be a Roman Catholic and a Protestant reformer, okay? Who who belongs to sola scriptura, who belongs to the tradition of the Bible and of, of the free men here in America. Because that's what America is built on. It's built on the gospel. It's built on the concept that Martin Luther brought forward of sola scriptura. And it's built on the concept of free men who will fight to die for their liberty. And so that's what the Bible gives us. We don't have any fear of death. We know that the Lord brought us into this world and the Lord will be there when we go out of this world and we have no fear. We're not concerned about, we're just only concerned about our kids watching us be brave and fight against this global tyranny. It's, it's the same global tyranny. It's the same system of aristocracy and, and principalities that were bowing and scraping and kissing the toe of the Pope that was in, in place during King George III. And nothing has changed. Nothing has changed about what's happening there. The, 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 the system of papal knights who serve the Pope and who serve at the, the, the beck and call of the Vatican, those men are ultra-wealthy men who own all these corporations who, who designed Skull and Bones at Yale, who, who put in pathways of power for their organizations, who have been running the show and been on the, the board of the Federal Reserve governors all along. Like the first one, the first guy was a Skull and Bones man. He was put on the, the Federal Reserve governors. So you, you got to understand this whole system is, is only, you're only blind to it if you're willingly a coward 
But when it's brought to your attention and the information is made available and you check it and you go and look at yourself and you see that it's true, now you're accountable for that. You need to step up as a man, put aside all this popery and this Romanism and this Roman cult religion and all this, 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 this wickedness, even though these people are in high places, even though these people are wealthy, powerful men, it doesn't matter. We can still overcome, just like in Valley Forge. you got to remember, just like in Valley Forge, those men didn't seem like they had a chance, but they wouldn't give up. They wouldn't give up their guns or their Bibles, and they fought against the tyranny of the money powers and the, and the globalists, and they won. So without going any further into it, let's listen to another interesting clip. And we're discussing the World Health Organization, and they're... They're moving forward under this Biden, this weak, feckless, cowardly Biden administration, this perverted child molester president that we have. Let's just be real about it. The guy's a pedophile pig, just like his son is. And let's go ahead and uh, take a look at how he they're using him and stepping forward with this agenda to bring down America into just another global subsidiary of the the new worldwide government that they're putting into place. I want to go to Michelle Bachman now, the Dean of the School of Government uh, down at uh, Regent University, and someone who does these great uh, webinars, also a candidate for president, and she's a former congressman. Uh, congressman Bachman, Dean Bachman, you were the first to kind of bring this to our attention. You were in the war room last week. Walk us to, what, what, because people are just getting their hands around it right now. We're going to have Frank Gaffney on, Dr. Naomi Wolf. What exactly is going on in Geneva at the World Health Organization? And how do we get so far down the road of it looks like signing something that's going to expand the sovereignty, the ability of the World Health Organization in Geneva, controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, to affect the sovereignty of the United States of America? That's right. It's hard to believe, Steve, but in less than two weeks' time, a vote will take place in Geneva, Switzerland, at the World Health Assembly. They're important because they're the governing body of the World Health Organization, WHO. This authority that they would be given would impact 99.4% of all the people in the world. There are 193 nations belonging to the UN. The Biden administration is bringing amendments that were proposed that all nations of the earth cede their sovereignty over national health care decisions to the WHO, the World Health Organization. So what this would mean, Steve, is that the WHO would have decision-making authority to intervene into United States government policy and any nation of the world without our permission. So, for instance, the lockdowns where you see 26 million people today locked down in Shanghai, China, they can't leave their apartments or homes, the WHO would have the authority to be able to enforce that here in the United States for whatever pretext they want. They don't have to show data. They could do this. What this does, Steve, bottom line, is it creates a platform for global governance global governments through the WHO. This is what people need to know. It's time sensitive. No one knew about this. The Biden administration gave these proposed amendments to the World Health Organization on January 18th. No one in America knew this until April 12th. Less than a month ago, the Biden administration posted these amendments. But in less than two weeks in Geneva, Geneva, Switzerland, the delegates will vote on this. 
the Biden administration has already released a list of countries, 40 of the most powerful countries in the world, including Canada, including the EU, including the UK, including Australia. These countries are going along with the Biden administration's insane push to give sovereignty over the untrustworthy WHO. Again, this creates a platform for global governance. So it's extremely important. The vote is going to take place in less than two weeks. And no one effectively knows about this happening, but people are starting to know. So back again with this second part of confronting the World Health Organization. And you can see now that it is starting to come out in the media a little bit, but they did work really hard in the same deceptive manner that they really worked hard to put Joe Biden away during the 2020 election and have him in the basement the whole time as they prepped the the big steal. And of course, we can see now with 2,000 mules, with Dinesh D'Souza's work, if you haven't seen it, then I guess you're just, you're blocking out the, the, bla- the blazing rays of the sun and, and the, the, the truth as it, as it becomes apparent to everyone that the 2020 election was in fact stolen. And there was a massive coordinated conspiracy of fraud. And that's what you're seeing in the Michael Sussman trial too, a conspiracy of fraud. And it uh, looks like a lot of people are gonna start going down that dorm, uh, that the dorm investigation is bearing fruit and it packs a punch. And uh, I thank God that Trump on his way out at least set that into motion. And you can see now that the the Biden administration has gotten rid of its ministry of truth that it was going to set up with the Jankowitz lady, the singing fool, the actual jackass jester lady. (laughs) And then she had the song about how she wanted to be rich and famous and and just, you know, do away with everyone else. And she actually had a a show tune song about how she wanted to be a Bolshevik kind of fascist. And um, of course, she's fired. And so, I mean, we can see that we're we're working together where our minds are we're aligned. Our minds are, are on the same wavelength. We're thinking each other's thoughts at this point. We're aware. We're, we're conscious. Our consciousness is being connected in America. There's a mass awakening of a consciousness. And we need to work together to um, keep each other in the loop and keep each other awake and informed on, on what's going on. There's really no barrier now as far as confidential and top secret information is, is more likely to become more prevalent now than ever before with the, with the speed with which technology has us all intercommunicating and interconnected. So we're, we're a one world consciousness right now. And uh, in America, we have to recognize that we recognize what's going on in, in India. There's mass food riots. You can see that the next, next year's food um, production reports are already looking really bad with the, the increased rate of prices for food and farming and apparently we can't get any potash because they stopped doing all the mining for oil and for propane for gas and so without that kind of drilling going on we can't get the potash and that's really what we need for the fertilizer for the farmers so there's like a, there's a complex system melting down here in America we need to recognize that and we're we're just trying to look forward here this issue with the World Health Organization is absolutely imperative that we focus like a laser and, 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 and do what we have to do to write some letters, make some phone calls, and push back against this. We absolutely can't allow it. It would be the 
the, the prospect of this military government in Washington, D.C. with their war powers that are giving power to the executive branch right now. And you can see that it's just an empty suit. Biden's completely fried. He's retarded. He, he, his crackhead son is in hiding. And um, just like the Supreme Court justices are. And uh, we, we have a state of uh, emergency in this country and they, they, can't, ha- they, they can't take on any more, uh, any more emergency powers without just you know, having us all shot against the wall. You know, they just put us all of us against the wall and shoot us. I think Homeland Security has 35 trillion billion rounds of ammo, so I think they're all prepared. And you can see that we have a difficulty in, in this country that ultimately this prospect of going to the World Health Organization and giving away our sovereignty and our ability to, to make political and governmental decisions on our own with our own governors and our own legislatures and our own states would just be completely eroded. So it, it, it's, it's tantamount to what happened on March 6th, 1933, when the Emergency Banking Act and the, the Trading with the Enemy Act and the, and the, and the different proclamations, that uh, the executive orders that came out as presidential proclamations were something they turned the country on its head. And they turned all the American citizens with with capital letters, right? They make it the conspiracy nuts and the Patriot movement. They make a big deal out of the, the capital letters when, you're, when your name is spelled in all caps because that denotes a corporate entity that you, you, your, your name has been put into, uh, into corporate law. So in as much that is that your identity has been become a persona, a commercial persona that could be traded in commerce. So what that means is just is if you had a business, a painting business, and you call and your your name is Dave Dave Allen, and you called your business Dave Allen Incorporated. You know, you, you use your name to incorporate like that. That that's the kind of corporate persona and corporate fiction that has been used by this illegal military government in Washington D.C. to create a corporate identity out of your de jure living person, actual soul as an individual. So your birth certificate is going to frame you with a custom number and frame your per- your personhood as a commodity for trade. That's what your birth certificate does. It, it lets them know how they, that they have an individual here and how much taxes they should expect to pay and you know what their what their liabilities will be concerning how much social security and insurance costs for the individual will, will be throughout their life and ultimately they they make a commercial and, and fiduciary estimation this is a way to monetize people and turn them into commercial instrument and so your certification documentation is at the beginning point is, is your birth certificate and like i said they can they, they, you can see now how they are traded on the on the market and how they are used to uh, help create government bonds and bonds are something very similar to birth certificate and of course your death certificate will coincide when the end date of your life is and the end of your monetization and your commercial viability as a fiduciary agent of the system so all the, the you're the full faith and credit of the american people is you so whenever they uh do these huge tranches, they do this huge uh, stimulus spending and, and print up billions of dollars of debt notes that's borrowed capital against you. And they have in collateral your birth certificate and your documentation and your social security number. 
And ultimately, that was something that didn't exist before 1933. Something that came in after 1929, the Great Depression, when, when America was completely bankrupt, completely, and the nation was entirely broke, and that's when the Federal Reserve System was going to take its its collateral that was lost. Which ultimately, once the full, once the, the American people are indebted and they can't pay back, then the only collateral left is themselves. So this is a way to tag the ear of all the cattle, and that's what these documents do. I mean, they're tied in with your, your supposed driver license. You like your they license you to move around, and so ultimately see that you're not you're not free anymore but you're really a subsidiary of the system itself and you you go around to earn federal reserve notes so you can pay federal federal reserve notes to the irs and you can try to collect enough scraps of these paper paper money in order to eventually try to retire with it of course the entire value and the purchasing power of your money is being dissolved with no matter how much of it you've piled up set aside for yourself, it's being dissolved by inflation and the massive prices that are going along with it, which will affect, of course, all the licensing when you want to go get your hunting license, because they license you to hunt. You can't just, you're not a free man, a freeman on the land able just to go and eat, eat from the land. You have to be licensed, you have to pay the county in order to, for them to, um, to discharge you a permit. So you're permitted. You have permission. So this is the kind of situation you have to recognize that you're in. You've been in it your whole life. I mean, since the 1933, you're talking about like over 80, 90 years now. You've been under these these declared war powers that have kind of begun with the Emergency Banking Relief Act, which were a way just to they had that banking holiday when they came in. The commander in chief was the sole executive government of the land, and it really didn't. They didn't really give a damn what the Senate or the legislature or the judges had to say about it. And so this became the de facto military government taking over in the, the, the collapse. Of course, the Roaring Twenties, there was lots of money. The Great Gadsby, right? Everybody was dancing and having a wonderful time. There was money everywhere. People could be get, become very wealthy. But after the Roaring Twenties, a few margin calls involving JFK's father, Joseph P. Kennedy was a powerful knight of Malta, super wealthy, phenomenally wealthy beyond. They were making a lot of money during the bootlegging period, during Prohibition, and of course they created Bacardi Rum. Is that, is that what it's called? I can't remember, but they created a lot of companies, made unquantifiable amounts of money as, as agents of the papacy and servants of the Pope, the papal knights. And of course, he raised his son up to become the president of the United States, and of course his son was raised with a lot of character and a lot of integrity and, and a lot of honesty, a powerful sense of burden of duty to the United States. And that's why they ultimately shot John F. Kennedy in the face. Now they did, and they blamed uh, Patsy, of course. So this is how the world is. This, this is how it is when you need to start to see the bigger picture and recognize that the, the forces of papacy and of monarchical, the old ultramontane monarchical nobility, that the old factions of the nobles and the kings of Europe had no no interest in giving up their their long planned goal of controlling the United States and bringing it down and ultimately defeating and finishing off the, the war against the Redcoats in 1776 right 
returning to that theme and that war once again to destroy the American people. Of course, we've survived this long. But you can see with the transgender ideology and all the, the different ramifications of this Marxist, leftist, corrosive agenda of division politics, it's there to just bring the American people to a state of civil war. It's got to be addressed. We've got to recognize that they're creating an idea virus that's a virulent, self-destructive weapon within the, the, the American body politic. And we have to stand against it. And, and the next step here, the reason why I bring up 1933 and this process of bringing this all under commercial liability for the debt of the United States, you know what I mean? So as they borrow more and more and more, and Nancy Pelosi, go, you know, she has this huge spending spending orgasm up there in Washington, D.C. Just, you know, their little side, their families and their little side businesses are all like Hunter Biden. They're all running around collecting all this money they print out as they as they wash it through different organizations. They send it to you and they send it back. They send it to you and they send it back. And lo and behold, later on, they're all, they're all millionaires, right? That's what happens in Washington, D.C. We all know it. So as they, they spend all this money and they blow this huge deficit out of the water and they begin to tank the American people, they're desperate to become independently wealthy so they don't have to worry about the ramifications of collapsing America and the, the ramifications of this massive debt cataclysm that they're uh, catastrophe that they're bringing on the American people. Ultimately, the, the American people are on the hook because of our social security numbers because of our birth certificates and because we sent, we've sent, we, we're a democracy, right? We sent our elected rep representatives up to Washington where Washington has the power to print the money and create debt. And we told them that they had the keys to the kingdom and they could print out a trillion, 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 trillion dollars of debt in our names and we'll pay it back. But of course, lo and behold, I don't have $190,000. Actually, since the last time we talked, it's more like $210,000 per American citizen, man, woman, and child. Look, look at the faces around you in your home. Think about your kids and your family members. Everybody here owes $210,000 to pay back this massive debt from Washington, D.C. So you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a financial genius to understand that they're killing us. They're killing us. So the next step of this process of using the emergency war powers and this out-of-control executive branch and this Federal Reserve System that's pumping trillions of dollars of, of money into a system that, that, we're, that we're borrowing, right? We're, we're borrowing all this money in this massive federal credit card that our kids and, and every kid we have who gets so they're going to have to ultimately pay this back. Now, 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 pay attention here. This social security number is just for the poor people. If you have one, it's because you're poor. Now, if you're like Bruce Wayne and you're a dark knight, right? Dark knight of the Pope, right? And you can you can get away with it because you live up in a, in a mansion and whenever your mom and dad have a baby, they take... The, the mom away and they put her up in a room in the mansion and they bring doctors in and lo and behold she has a baby and they take the baby in the next room and it's over but when you're poor and you go to the hospital all of a sudden the doctor's got to write up a, a birth certificate for you and send it to the federal government and document you and, and sign you up to this process of getting a social security number so that your your child could be indebted with this borrowing and, and this borrowing debt that's what's, that's what's happening when you go to the hospital and you're poor and you, you sign your kid up all proud to get a birth certificate and they'll later, they'll later send a social security number so that, so that your child can be indemnified with this massive Federal Reserve debt as they, so now that we can have another one that we can, we can print out another $200,000 because now we have a new, a new debt slate. So that, that's the system here. And it's, it's very complicated and it's hard to explain. This is not about conspiracy theories. It's about getting through to your head what it is you're losing in this country.
you're in the process of losing your country because you don't have the ability to see the game that's being played in this uniparty system. The Washington, you get the you got McCon- Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi holding hands, and it doesn't matter which color hat they have on or which party they vote for or whatever, whatever the that's you know whatever the the, the the Hegelian dialectic is between parties. They are indebting our children and our grandchildren into serfdom with this massive debt spending. So we need to get rid of the Federal Reserve. We need to shut down Washington, D.C., and we need to empower our Treasury once again to issue money and bonds and, and banknotes and, and, and empower the state governments to issue banknotes in terms of gold and silver that are that are actual. We don't need certificates and, and, and licenses for American people. We don't need birth certificates for American people. We need certificates of gold and silver so that we can trade with honest, solid, hard money to one another instead of these debt notes where we're, we're whenever we pay somebody with these debt notes, we're really just stealing from them because we're giving them a worthless paper. We're passing it to them. We're passing that worthless debt monetization to that person. Of course, now they have a Federal Reserve note. They can go pay their ticket. They can go pay the IRS. They can become a, a nice surf in this Federal Reserve slave system. But it's time for us to get out of this debt cycle. So that, that's what this whole move towards the World Health Organization is all about. As these different states throughout the United States say, look, this is how we feel about abortion. This is how we feel about whether it's constitutional rights or not. As these state governments use their sovereignty to decide what they're going to do, all of a sudden here comes the global apparatus to come in and try to steal the power of the state governments away and to, and to shut down this process of national sovereignty for each of these 50 states in the, in the American Union. That's what you got to remember. We're, we're part of a union. We're not slaves. We're not held here at gunpoint to and run in their little hamster wheel to generate economic resources for this, this big pharma military industrial complex, this biosecurity state they're trying to build through the World Economic Forum with the funding of Bill Gates as we're getting into the Bill Gates funding the World Health Organization. So this whole sick system of them trying to betray the, the vast preponderance of poor poor people in the world population into this system of forced sterilization and forced vaccination, the system of forced global takeover of your country because the United States is proposing these new amendments and this new treaty so that we could give up our sovereignty. And they think up there in Washington, D.C., in the this Emergency war powers executive branch thinks they can give away the rights of the American people and these states, the sovereignty of these states, to the World Health Organization. We have to—that's the ultimate fight. We have to—we ha- have to decide now that we're going to make this stand. This is their big push. This is their big triangulation. This is their big stratagem in order to bring the American people and especially all the people of the world to their knees. And they're going to do it with starvation. It's time to start growing your own food. We—we we got our garden going. We have, we have our, you know, we're, we're making, we're putting food resources aside. We're getting some of these Patriot food kits, these, these Patriot survival kit, food kits and stuff. We're, we're setting aside the resources we need to, for this fight. So this is what it comes down to. We need you to participate, step in, and we're working hard to over here to inform you. We need your support. We have lots of, of people coming, stepping in and, and letting us know what they think and, and starting to, to, you can go and hit the cash app send us some resources. If you don't have that, email us. Let us know how we can you know, make a, a pay method available to you so that you can support us and we can continue this fight. But no, look, it's time to confront the World Health Organization. It's time to confront the United Nations and to realize that as they are imploding and collapsing the Federal Reserve system of debt on our heads, and it's just basically it's spiraling out. 
there's not enough people here. We've we've aborted every fifth person here. Now the all these uh, illegal immigrants are pouring into the country by the million who are here just to take up jobs and absorb a lot of this debt. A lot of this money is just going to be absorbed as they send it, you know, to other countries and send it to their homeland, send it to support their families and so on. And so ultimately our debt notes are being dispersed out and the American people are just becoming more inundated with fentanyl drugs and they're being murdered by the CDC ultimately with this poisonous, ridiculous fake vaccine, which it really isn't a vaccine. It's just an experimental mRNA therapy. And it's, it's, it just basically stimulates your system to create all these spike proteins that clog up your heart and cause you to have a heart attack. I mean, they're just murdering people. And you got to recognize that we were tying in with our host the other night, tying in this whole picture of this is a continuation of the counter-reformation and it's it's the justification for those the deep state villains and the apparatus to make war and to commit democide against the american people because the american people are the colonists they're the the protestants and the puritans that ultimately the system in europe is again the system in europe looks at us like we are just gone astray subjects of britain who have we're traitors against the crown ultimately we have we're ultimately um heretics from the rome's point of view we're just we're just here and of course from the ccp from the chinese communist point of view we're ultimately just here to be wiped out so they can take over north america for their farmland in the future so everyone has plans of ultimately destroying america we have many enemies and we need to recognize now that this process of the world health organization is a wholly owned property of the ccp and bill gates who are some of the biggest funders and we'll get into that in this episode so once again let's get into it it raises serious concerns about national sovereignty for countries all over the world because countries do follow this and essentially this is a ratification of everything that we saw with COVID-19. Now going back, I mean, does anybody think that what the World Health Organization did during COVID-19 was a smashing success? I don't think so. You know, what role did the World Health Organization play? First, they started out, as is widely known, by helping China cover up the virus. Next, they rubber-stamped lockdowns into policy based on very little you know, lockdown is not something that was in any country's pandemic plan. It was actually had no precedent in the Western world since the Middle Ages at the very latest. But based solely on what the Chinese Communist Party said has succeeded in Wuhan, this ridiculous narrative that the super lockdown in Wuhan had eliminated the virus from all of China. Just a few weeks after that, you know, China comes and tells the entire world in no uncertain terms. The World Health Organization's representative of China gives a press conference tells the entire world what China has shown the world is you have to do this. Uh, copy China's response to COVID-19. And based solely on that, he tells the entire world, regardless of what their demographics are, their economics are, even their number of COVID-19 cases, tells them all they have to do this. And based on that, you know, one by one, like dominoes, the entire world starts to shut down. That really accounts for everything we saw over the past two years, from the lockdowns to the mask mandates to the mass testing and vaccine passes, this entire care campaign. The PCR testing guidance from the World Health Organization, um, they issued this guidance that was also unprecedented. Western plans to you know start mass testing for COVID-19 with PCR tests. It turns out that the cycle thresholds uh, that was were issued along with that guidance, which also came from China, by the way. Uh, the New York Times that are confirmed that was an 85 to 90% false positive rate. It's 
an unspeakable crime what's taken place over the last two years. And now you have all these nations going to Geneva, Switzerland. The World Health Organization is asking for more power to do the same thing. Not just the same thing, but more of it. And all these countries are saying, okay, that's great. Everything we experienced was just fine and dandy. Let's do more of it. And that's the real significance here. Uh, we just had Dr. David Bell on the show, and he explained, uh, I guess, the distinction between the international health regulations that are being looked at as we speak, and also this uh, pandemic treaty that is being worked on that will be uh, voted on, I guess, uh, the following year. Um, I just wanted to get you to clarify that, because it almost sounded like the two are being kind of conflated into one in what you were saying. The amendments to the international health regulations are more immediate. The pandemic treaty, which is also um, being debated and being talked about, will be something that's passed in the future. And that's something that uh, will, you know, has not been drafted yet in any serious way, but will give the World Health Organization again a whole uh, host of new powers if uh, nations decide to go down that path as well. So how is it that this actually validates these lockdowns? So it's a lockdown was not part of any country's pandemic plan, not part of any, uh, had no precedent in history prior to the lockdown of Wuhan, China. However, after um, the Chinese Communist Party in February of 2020 announced that their lockdown of Wuhan was a smashing success, the World Health Organization rubber stamps that into policy, and the entire world follows that endorsement of the lockdown by the World Health Organization. It becomes part of their own policy. And this is something that is they're actually working on. It's not even up for vote. They, it's not part of the amendments to the health regulations or the pandemic treaty. But they have simply adopted lockdown as policy. But these are a legitimate way of responding when all the evidence shows otherwise. That's exactly right. Uh, they are adding legitimacy to these policies by signing on to the treaty. When you look at every single policy that was implemented in response to COVID-19, you find China's paw prints on every single policy because it all comes back to the central lie that the lockdown of Wuhan, the response of the Chinese Communist Party was in Wuhan was so super effective that it eliminated the virus from all of China. This ridiculous narrative. And every single one of these policies comes back to what the Chinese Communist Party said they did in Wuhan. The mass testing, they said, you know, that's what worked in Wuhan, using the cycle thresholds that worked in Wuhan, do it there. You know, um, lockdowns, mass mandates, obviously vaccine ports, passports, has the uh, China's paw prints all over it. Uh, every single one of these policies, it turns out, was just, you know, kind of laundered into policy based on the fact that our officials and our elites were... Uh, rubber stamping this lie that the Chinese Communist Party has succeeded in delivering this virus. And of course, you know, even if that wasn't obvious enough, I mean, you look at this graph, which I put in the cover of my book, this is, uh, you know, supposedly the deaths, COVID deaths in China until Xi Jinping gives the order, and suddenly there's this flat line. I mean, that graph is, they didn't even get, do a good job forging it, but that has been the basis for the world's response to COVID-19. And even more vividly, we've seen in the last year, suddenly China is back in lockdown again. So everything that we've been told by this biosecurity community over the last two years that, you know, copy China, copy all these policies, has been, you know, belied by what just happened in China. Now all of a sudden they're back in lockdown again. They never actually looked at the virus to begin with. It was just a really ridiculous data fraud that somehow got legitimized by the international influence, the global influence that the Chinese Communist Party has developed 
over several decades within elite media outlets, within universities, with politicians, with think tanks. You see all of them, the closer you get to the centers of power regarding their response to COVID-19, the more likely people are to repeat this lie that the Chinese Communist Party actually did uh, eliminate this virus. And it's very, you know, it's eerie to behold because everybody else can tell it's uh, obvious data fraud. But apparently, you know, the elites in charge of the response cannot. That's what's accounted for everything that's happened. But over several decades, they've developed an international network that treats these lies that crop out of the propaganda machine as reality. And so leaders get, take that and they say, oh, you know, the Chinese Communist Party promised to be carbon zero. Now we have to be carbon zero, too. We have to cut emissions. Of course, the CCP, that means nothing to them. <laughs> they take no action toward that goal. They don't, you know, they're still producing the most coal of any country in the world. Um, but the rest of the world actually does cut some of their emissions. And, uh, and so we see this pattern wherein Western elites are treating the lies coming out of the Chinese Communist Party as reality. And with COVID-19, that gets kicked into overdrive because now you have this very obvious, ridiculous lie that through this, you know, two-month super lockdown in Wuhan, where they're welding people in, they were able to eliminate this virus from all of China. Or nowhere else outside of China. I mean, you think about how utterly absurd that is. Apparently, this virus knows, understands national borders very well. Because you look at all the countries, you know, China, this very porous border of billions of people. Um, you know, all the countries around there, their cases are all, all at all-time highs. But, you know, China's still insisting that they had, you know, zero deaths the entire time. I mean, it's just utterly absurd. The real story here is straight out of ancient Rome. You know, the tyrant Xi Jinping gave the order to uh, launder this lockdown policy and suspend everybody's rights around the world. And that's exactly what his cronies did. One of the things you noted is that in the international health regulations themselves, there is a focus on information management, if I recall correctly. So tell me about that. Yeah, that is the most concerning aspect of these health regulations. Um, the health regulations, you know, kind of um, repeat all the things that the World Health Organization is doing. You know, they want more testing, more tracing, more, you know, information gathering, more non-pharmaceutical intervention. There's all that, but that technically isn't binding on member nations. They have to not just uh, approve those health regulations, but actually, you know, implement those themselves. And unfortunately, with many liberal nations around the world, especially, they simply rubber stamp those policies from the World Health Organization. So it is, you know, very concerning for national sovereignty in that sense. However, one area in particular, uh, national sovereignty doesn't matter at all. And that's in this um, war on misinformation. This clampdown on misinformation. Because in that particular area, the World Health Organization is not working through nations. Nations don't have to approve this. They are working directly with um, unaccountable private organizations, supranational companies, such as Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and advising them on who and what to censor. So that doesn't matter what country you're in. You can be in a country that's completely opposed to the World Health Organization, where you've done everything in your power to uh, convince all of your leaders, your democratically elected officials, to not give the WHO any power. That doesn't matter because the World Health Organization is getting funding. And they're using that funding to work with YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter uh, to censor your voice and censor those who uh, you agree with and want to hear their views from. That will have an effect on every country 
in the world, uh, how they respond to any pandemic, the information they get about any virus, regardless of whether they uh, vote to give the World Health Organization any power. How is this different, I guess, from what's been happening already uh, when it comes to these this uh, draft of the updates to the IHRs? It's just more of it. It's, uh, it's really, I mean, that's what it comes down to. It's everything that we've seen, all the extraordinarily harmful activity that we've seen World Health Organization telling countries around the world to engage in over the last two years. They just want to do more of it. And so when you see leaders signing on to these health amendments, the World Health Organization, the amounts to the regulations, they're essentially, you can say, pledging allegiance to this biosecurity system, the, this horrible biosecurity system that we've seen over the last few years that's done so much harm all over the world. And those lockdowns have led to, you know, the largest man-made famine that we've seen since the Great Leap Forward. They have, you know, deprived children all over the world with years of primary education, children are stuffed in mass for hours and hours a day, something I couldn't even imagine. It sounds absolutely awful just to attend school. Uh, you know, they destroyed economies all over the world. In 2020, every single country in the G20, the largest 20 economies in the world, every single country had negative GDP growth except for China. You know, China made a lot of money. It transferred trillions of dollars, three trillion dollars in wealth from the world's poorest people to the uh, very richest uh, small handful of billionaires who got rich off of this response, mostly testing and vaccines, and predominantly those were Chinese billionaires, so Chinese Communist Party members themselves. But what happened here is an absolute crime, an absolute heist. The World Health Organization is almost being used as a front for the Chinese Communist Party itself. Leaders around the world, the fact that they are going there and the World Health Organization saying, oh yeah, let's do all that again, let's have more of that. And they're saying, yeah, that's fine. I mean, that's the power of the false reality that has been spun by the Chinese Communist Party and the World Health Organization. They're all signing up for that and pledging allegiance to that sort of false reality. This is all like So here we have a word from our sponsor. And of course, we have a very brave and wonderful sponsor to come in. But you know about Wendy's Boutique. Wendy's Boutique Limited is the the cutting edge of women's apparel online, the hottest new styles, all kinds of brand names. Just go to wendyslimited.com. That's how you can support us. You can support our sponsors. Let them know um, that uh, Looking Glass Forum sent you. You can choose the discounts. So look up wendyslimited.com. It's Wendy's Boutique Limited Online. And with the hottest new styles, best women's apparel, best apparently bikinis, lingerie, all kinds of beautiful, sensual things that you need when you have a beautiful woman in your life. So wendyslimited.com, guys. That's where we need your support. So I want to make sure I return to this point again that you're not to be mystified and bamboozled by this system of global tyranny that they're putting into place. And I just want to add this little clip in here because when we're listening to Geopolitics and Empire podcast, they have a really interesting guest. He's making the point that ultimately this system of world government that's being insinuated into our lives through the, the helpful NGOs, the, the non-government organizations that allow people like Bill Gates and George Soros and, and, and even recently 
Mark Zuckerberg when he interfered in the 2020 election with $400 million or whatever it was. You get, you're allowing all these different independent actors to begin to influence the direction of geopolitical power. And you can see that ultimately we're, at, we're, at, we're constantly asked to pay the enormous bill due in the United Nations and to pay for the World Health Organization, and to, to pay for for NATO and to pay for all these things, you can see that there's a design, a combination working against America to, to weaken us and bring us down. And, and the most dangerous part of that system of traitors and Marxian saboteurs, the invisible committee, right? The invisible committee wrote that in the book, The Coming Insurrection. So no one knows who they are, of course. It's the national security deep state. And they're linked up with the World Health Organization. You can see now they're desperately allowing into the country millions of uh, illegal trespassers from all over the world. And ultimately, we have the, the, the situation arising where they're cutting the throat of America and the World Health Organization is now pushing forward at this weakened state where the American people are, are sickened because of the outbreak of this, this biological weapon. This, uh, viral warfare that we've been dealing with. I think that you can see that the intelligence weapon, the intelligence asset of the Russians and the Chinese is really Joe Biden. They put their Manchurian candidate into the White House, into the Oval Office there. And now you can see that America is, is falling apart in every level. So it's going to be a desperate war of attrition, a, a fight for survival to get to the end of, of the line here where we can actually sort it out. And you can see that they're already talking about monkeypox and all this, this stuff and they're, they're trying to surge forward so that the World Health Organization will be in control of lockdowns and public policy in the United States over and above of the wishes of any of the governors or elected officials. So this unelected international, supranational committee of politicization of healthcare, right? And as much as that we, the CDC has been totally just following the dictates of the World Health Organization for a long time. And that's why I wonder, I mean, supposedly Trump was the president, but he really didn't get anything accomplished. He took us out of the World Health Organization and ultimately Biden just turns around and puts us back in. And now puts forward these new amendments, which would turn us into just another vassal state who receives orders from, from Brussels and from Europe center of international power, which is what the World Health Organization and the United Nations is all about. So now we're in the ultimate fight for survival. You're going to find out now why the Amish make their own clothes and milk their own cows and, you know, earn their own keep on the, on the land and, and, you know, they can they have wood tools where they don't need electricity so they can build and, and they can create their farms and homes by their own skill. And so that's, 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 that's the kind of American independence and versatility and self-sufficiency that made this country so great. And many people in this country still have that and we need to get back to it. It's time to start growing your own vegetables in your garden, canning your own food. I mean, that, that, we're going we're gonna to face a downturn that no election is going to be able to save us from. And if they push onto us and ram through this World Health Organization legislation, they'll they'll be back with their abortions. They'll be back to, to, to tell the, the transgender kids in school that the, the boys who can have pregnancies that after these boys get pregnant, 
they can have abortions, right? That's what we're going to tell everybody. That, that's the triple speak and the the no think that's coming out of Washington D.C. And you got to recognize what it's all about. And in order to kind of comprehend the nature of what this situation is, you have to look back in history and see what is the war that's unfolding behind the scenes. And this this next clip is really great because it points out that ultimately London. The city of London, the banking empire, is behind the throne and the crown there in, in Great Britain. Ultimately, this system of fractional reserve banking imperialism that ultimately brings everyone under the debt of the banking masters there in London. The system in England that the, the empire, the British empire as it were, was, was being converted into worldwide global empire. A system of an internationalist global empire. And so that's why you have the rise of the, the United Nations. The United Nations was built on land donated in, in New York City from the Rockefeller family, who owned a huge, who owned huge tracts of land there. And they just donated a huge spot for the United Nations to put their building there. So you have to recognize that ultimately this system that's being built through the World Health Organization, the World Bank, and the International Monetary Fund, and the United Nations, and on and on, the system of world empire that's being built out was really in the works when Cecil Rhodes was around. So now you have to go back to the round table, the secret round table groups, and they were the ones who connected with their American counterparts. Ultimately, the technocratic state is being built up by the world's elites, and this system of aristocracy is at play in the background. And the system of, you have to understand that Rockefeller himself was a knight of Malta when he donated the land. Of the, you know, they're going to these secret societies, they become high-level Freemasons. And if you go look at the chart, when you become a high-level Freemason, you become involved with the knighthood orders who are acting out the wishes of their masters in Rome. So it's a system of aristocracy, it's a system of monarchy, and it has everything to do with opposing the the political liberty of free men who are ha having a constitutional republic and in such a, cost a constitutional republic that would liberate every man from any kind of liege lord or master or king so there's no slaves and there's no subjects of course that's diametrically opposed to men who want to serve a king and who want to be knights and who want to who want to gain uh, you know ascend into nobility into the the aristocratic the, the aristocratic classes of power and wealth, and that's the oligarchy, man. That's the global system of power. Ultimately, and the, the Vatican is at the center of that. And these men who are building out the United Nations and the World Health Organization are serving their masters well and trying to bring the rest of us under this political domination. So it's it's really global tyranny. So this particular global tyranny seeks to replace states' rights altogether. You can see that they're they're pushing this. They're, they're moving quickly to push as many people into the country from south of the border as possible. Ultimately, Ukrainians are coming over by the tens of thousands and coming over the border because it's easier than trying to get a paper. Just fly to Mexico and walk across. So we have we right now have millions of new people in the country. We have no idea who they are. They're criminals trying to escape their their home countries. They're trying to they're people that are ultimately looking for work who have family members here but they're, they're breaking the law to come here and they're coming here after they've broken the law to become part of the subservient 
working classes who have no real rights. They might try to go vote in elections, but they're not supposed to. They might try to use false identities to go to states like California and get driver's licenses. They won't, they won't be reciprocated in other, in other states, but you know, they're just an underclass society. And ultimately they're here to make sure that they can achieve their goal of creating a North American Union. And that would dissolve ultimately the state's rights, that would dissolve the borders, and that would dissolve America's constitutional liberty as, it's, as it was known and as it was constituted in 1789 or what have you there. So all this just to say that this process of resisting Democrats' sellout of America, they're selling out and betraying America's future to the whims of this internationalist oligarchy. And you got to remember the Counter-Reformation was really what was at work here when we were dealing with Archduke Metternich and Metternich when he was serving his masters, when he constituted the Congress of Vienna in 1815 and like I said that's just on the heels of the the resurrection of the Jesuit order so in 1815 they're getting right back to work they're going to do everything in their power to bring down the effects of the Reformation and the effects of freedom and the Bible in the hands of the common man in the common language and French and English and so on and so forth so that in German so that people could read the, the Bible and see the, and have their own relationship with God and they didn't need the church. They didn't need, they didn't need the rituals of Rome. They didn't need to, to, to go tell their sins to a priest or do, do five penances or five Hail Marys or what have you. They would just have a relationship with a living relationship, a spiritual walk of faith with the God of the Bible. And so this created the Reformation. And this created the Holy Wars, the supposed 30 years war and so on and so forth that followed as people decided that they would have their own personal relationship with God outside the authority of the papacy and of Rome. And when they did that, that was a, that was a declaration of war. And so that's what Metternich is doing in the Congress of Vienna. He's, it's a mimic of the Congress of the, of the Jesuits. It's also a joke on the Congress of America and the Congress of Vienna has constituted all the, the, the kings, the crowned, bejeweled heads, the noblemen. Remember, Prince Metternich is ultimately a, a Knight of Malta, right? So he's serving in the knighthood orders. He's a high-powered man, high-powered Knight of Malta, you know, papal knight. So Metternich is going to be ultimately elevated to Archduke, and he is going to have great powers. And he is there to bring about a historic reference point of the ultramontane power structure, the white power structure, if you will, as they sought to make it declare secretly and openly or what have you, the war against all Republican, democratically elected, constitutional governments of free peoples around the world. They were springing up everywhere. You know, constitutional republics, people who had were setting up democracy. And you can see that in the last decades that Many nations like Venezuela and all over South America and all over the world, even like Iran, was a, it was a totally different nation if you go back to 1970s. It was a totally different world over there. And it's just been totally turned inside out. Same thing when uh, they, they kind of installed Saddam Hussein as a as the dictator over Iraq. And they just turned that country into a shithole despotism. They had, they had rape rooms. of the, You know, the, the citizens were totally... It was like North Korea over there, you know, with Saddam Hussein in charge. So these are the kind of dictatorships and kings that they set up in the same way that the British set up the, the Saud family dynasty to become the king of Saudi Arabia. And they just created their own boundaries. And they, they cut up the Ottoman Empire. They created their own borders. And, and they made the Saud family the king. That's why Osama bin Laden was, was trying to fight them and was getting kicked out. Because he just didn't accept that, that this was all there was for 
the, the Muslim world. You know, just this this little section of, of the map that was was delegated to them by the British. So ultimately, the British Empire is being converted into an international system of world government, and it's supposed to superimpose and make obsolete the the nationalist governments of the past. That's why there's this huge push against nationalism. Ultimately, Trump kind of you know put the red hats on and made this big this big push for nationalism. And of course, that means that the different nations of the world have their own sovereignty. This has been being dissolved. The, the French and the and the Swedish and the and the the Italians and the Germans have all given up their sovereignty as, as independent nation states to become part of the European Union. So these other countries are ready to become part of a global international empire that that is ruled by delegation from that's what the international uh, from, from Brussels or what have you. That's what the international criminal court's all about. They're trying to get sovereignty and jurisdiction over American citizens, and ultimately, we're going to lose our country. So this fight for freedom and for independence and to, and to keep America's sovereignty uncorrupted and, and protected from the whims of these, these individuals, they're at war with America because America was founded as a Protestant nation and they have sworn oaths to destroy every Protestant nation and every heretic king and every everywhere make secret and open war against all those that they've declared to be enemies of the Pope. So that's what this, that's what this whole thing is about with the Jesuits and the Knights. We bow the knee. Ultimately, they answer to the archbishops. So that, that's what happens in uh, in New York City. That's what happens in the the Grand Cathedral there. It's that's where Cardinal Spellman was was the one orchestrating the Knights of Malta and, and, other, and other papal knights from that what they call it, the power station down there. So these are the details of the the world that is the occult and undeclared secret world power that people are are not discussing. No one has the intellectual acumen or just. The historical background or the consciousness of the different factors and the infighting and the struggle for freedom that takes place and people might not really be concerned about with what the the elite power structure does over there in the vatican but ultimately they're planning through these different agencies and these, di- these different international instruments are being situated just the way you see the chinese developing their systems of war just as we're shutting down now they have more naval ships than we do and then we're shutting down our army we're we're transgendering it, and, and of course, they're preparing their, their their armada, just the same way that they did uh, when they when they tried to go against Queen Elizabeth for the same reasons. The Spanish armada was a huge battalion of ships that was sent across the channel to destroy her, and of course, it failed. And of course, they're, they're just doing what they've always done. It's the same details when they tried to blow up James the First, King James, in, in Parliament and the gunpowder plot back in 1605 and if you go back and rewind the tape back more to 1572 you can you can see the saint saint bartholomew day massacre the queen medici there she worked with her her knights of malta at the time the hospital or knights and then she worked with her jesuit priest and she made sure that those those bastard huguenots paid they butchered them and killed them they weren't going to allow there to be another edict of dance or some kind of like peace where the protestants were allowed to read their bibles and to conduct their own religious affairs in peace no they had to either do it the pope's way as the vatican mandated from rome or you were a heretic and you were to uh, to be killed that's the doctrine that's the doctrine today and so if you're not aware of this the bloody anathemas and, and the calls for all of the theologians of Rome to basically burn heretics and destroy them and make war against them. That's what it's all about, guys. That's what they're doing here. That's what the World Health Organization is here to do. It's here to be this great mask and the, this great gambit for power 
for world control that we're supposed to all bow down and accept the authority of. And, and so it's really disappointing that the, the CDC has been allowed to become so politicized and made such an instrument of this international conspiracy, which is exactly what it is. And so Tedros and Bill Gates and the Chinese Communist Party and Soros, they're all up to funding this whole process by which we're going to supposedly allow Joe Biden to sign away our rights, our constitutional rights. So it's time for you to buy ammo. It's time for you to recognize that some of these, I'm sure there's a lot of really good men in the FBI, but as long as they're going to be going out in task force to just obey, just so they can keep their pension and just keep their keep their paycheck going and, and go and just do the will of whoever, whoever's next, you know, who's going to be after Joe Biden, right? So it's, it's ridiculous that they're just taking orders without any ability to think about what they're doing. They're acting out a, a, a campaign of political warfare against the American people because they have some so transgendered Black Lives Matter masters in Washington D.C. kind of paving the way towards this atro- atrocities that are that are being developed here. So they're they're pushing the American people into a corner, and they're appealing to foreign nationals and illegal immigrants to basically push their way ahead and and replace the American people. So this is the re- replacement doctrine, and you know the turnstiles and the taxes and the the coins, the, the toll booth coins that get thrown in the toll booth, the automated uh, collection booths, everything will just keep on rolling but you can just take out all the the whitey the european whiteys who were the protestant anabaptist puritan um presbyterian lutherans who came from all over the world to populate america and now you can just bring in this this hordes and waves of almost like soldiers like battalions like ten thousand men is a is a division right so these are divisions and on divisions on divisions of foreign invaders who are now going to rummage across the land and as the economy starts to go down and people start to the jobs become scarce and the money crashes and food the food famine scarcity it's going to be a crime wave so you need to buy ammo protect yourself at any event because the fbi is not going to come out and protect you against divisions and divisions and divisions of illegal immigrants who are now trapped in in a, in a famine-plagued America. And then you have the World Health Organization already getting ready to jump on the, the monkey pox thing and they want to shut down. They, they can't have a fair election. And so they got to, by November, they got to shut it down. I'm telling you, those gonna be they're going to be back to doing their old tricks. This is a power struggle of colossal proportions and you need to get involved. You can't just lay around and listen to this crap on the internet in your pajamas. You have to make preparations to survive this. This is a, a survival game. So you need to have neighbors, be connected with your family. It's time to prepare to weather, batten down the hatches and weather the storm that's coming here. So here, this next clip is a discussion. And of course, the information we'll try to make sure we add it in. A discussion relating to the foundation uh, as far as the roads, uh, Cecil Rhodes, huge fortune being used to construct these this plan for a global system of absolute world power. And, you know, if you put some of this information together, you can see that the goal has always been world government. It's in their documents going back a century. Usually it's coming from the British elites, European elites. Myself as a Christian, I I believe this as well. The Bible prophecy kind of talks about this. You read that book of Daniel and Revelation. It implies there's going to be a global government and some kind of system where if you don't submit to the system, you can't buy or sell. And from what I put together from Matt's and, and Johnny's work was you can kind of... You can go back to Cecil Rhodes, that you know, wealthy British magnate. Rhodesia was named after him just today, Zimbabwe, I think. He wanted to create a world government. He says, in his own words, he left his money from his will for this purpose to create these British roundtable groups. And he wanted to he basically use the British Commonwealth as the template. Think about how Cecil Rhodes was going to use the British Commonwealth 
is the foundation for create a world commonwealth. Which countries were the first to go crazy lockdown? The British Commonwealth countries, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, so on. And so that's been the goal. He created the Rhodes Scholarship. Many of these elites doing the lockdowns are Rhodes Scholars and they, you know, Council on Foreign Relations. First it was the Royal Institute and then the Council on Foreign Relations in like 1919. And then you get to the creation of the CIA. And then Johnny talks about how, what was it, like in the 1960s, Klaus Schwab went to Harvard. Uh, and then at this international Harvard seminar that was sponsored by the CIA, and that's the genesis of the European Management Forum, which becomes the World Economic Forum. And the European Management Forum's goal was to unify Europe and the U.S. into a supranational union. Again, the genesis of a world government. So that's where all of this is headed. You know, the World Economic Forum is the face, the branding of this push to create the world government. And Willem Engel, who I interviewed, says that you've got the WEF instructs our ministers and then behind the scenes, you've got all of these consultancy companies like McKenzie and many others that have already made the laws for this COVID stuff. And they give it to the politicians who just have to sell us on it. And so that's kind of the infrastructure to get this all across. I mean, how else do you see everyone working in lockstep from Kazakhstan to Mexico? And, and a lot of these elites are globalists. You know, I worked at the Nazarbayev school. I've been to his library in Astana, Nur Sultan. He's a total globalist. He's got books talking about globalism. So, Because it's so wild. You finally get your head around these superpowers and trying to... Yeah, all of what you said, physical, uh, precious metals, property, land, you know, it, it, buy a car now. They might not be, they said they're not going to be manufacturing gas-powered cars, you know, after 20, uh, 26 or whatever. And if you have land, buy like quality tools that are going to last, you know, a long time that you know you're going to need, you know, hammers, shovels, what, all of that stuff. And so, yeah, and then as you say, manage, you know, have your digital crypto assets, whatever, but make sure you have also the physical, everything kind of covered as, as, as much as you you can. It's really, it's like what we're going into. I've been saying since 2020 that this is, well, even before 2020, I've been saying that we're going to work going into another World War III scenario, like 1930s, economic collapse, rise of authoritarianism, and the world war. I just never thought it would be global. Like we just saw it happen over the two years. Like I thought I could just leave the U.S. The U.S. will become more fascist you know they're creating the domestic terror units to go after conservative people who like the constitution who are conservatives i mean this is going pretty much like nazi fascist but now it's it's like you said it's, it's a global level so it happened so fast like it, a lot of us knew this was coming but we're, it's still surprising when it comes you know and you got to remember behind the king of england there and and, and the queen elizabeth ii she's getting very old soon there will be a new king in England, and there'll be a, the big, great pomp and circumstance and celebration over that as they bring out their their, their white horses and they march the king out. They do a great celebration. You know, it'll be you know, everyone in the world will be watching it as they coronate this king. And of course, the coronation will go through this system of of religious control by which you ultimately have the Vatican and the you know the different sold out Vatican popes men there. And the Anglican Church who are going to come out and just and, and all the knights that are there, all the powerful knights, the knights of the Garter, the knights of Saint John and the Holy Sepulcher, which is in Jerusalem. Of course, it's all about controlling Jerusalem by in a military way. It's whether military orders, the military sovereign military orders of Malta and so on, who are ultimately there to control their their positions that they, and their positions and their footholds that they have in Jerusalem. 
because they serve the Pope. And that's the Pope's holy land. That's his holy city. And so ultimately, you have this, this great union of Romanism, Islam, and, and traditional Jewish culture coming together in Jerusalem right now as they kind of fight over, over the control of that territory. And so you can see the apocalypse if you go to the Bible, the apocalypse, and, and the great arm, the war of Armageddon is all fought over Jerusalem. So you can see these powerful military orders are interested in, in keeping their 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 ability to come in and out, their ability to travel there, their ability to live and set up their the great castles. They still have stone, big stone military installments and placements there, and they have the um, they even have the chapel of the Holy Sepulcher there, which is obviously a Roman Catholic archdiocese, you know? So they have an archbishop, they're going to have priests, they're going to have all the system of Rome there in Jerusalem. And they're insisting that ultimately that's their right, and ultimately they have, it's, it's, their, it's at their good pleasure that they want to conduct religious affairs as they see fit. And so that's what you're up against. That's what we're up against here in America. Here in America, we had constitutional amendments against any royal titles and princely surnames and, you know, and, and this process of having ultimately a caste system where you have the nobility and the royals and then you have all the rest of the, 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 the common serfs who, are, who have no name, they're illiterate, they can't read, they can't write, they, they just do what they're told. They, they come up and open their mouth and you see their little wafer from the priest like... Like a good dog who gets a treat, you know that's 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 the the extent of their religious devotion or experience is basically to just receive whatever they're told to receive from the hand of the the, the power elite and the Roman priests. So here in America, we have the right to religious freedom. We have the right to bear firearms against encroachments of the state and of any kind of like invader who will come and stand against our home or try to, you know burn us out or take our stuff or, you know, harm our women here. Or if we have lady folk around, we can, you know what I'm saying? We're here to protect our home front as men. And it's the same thing. We all, all those particular, the bill of rights and the, and the whole meaning of the declaration of independence was to create a new political liberty for people who were, who believed other than the system of orthodoxy. There was the Roman inquisitors, the Roman priests and the papacy who ordained and commanded and dictated to everyone else what was heresy and who was going to be burned and who wasn't and that people should be burned. So this was a place where the Inquisition never burned anyone in auto de fe. This is a place of liberty and freedom from that to go into the world and to have your own right to your life, right? So that's so crucial. You have to understand that, that that's not something that you had a right to under this system of, of nobility, under the power of the oppression of the aristocracy and the princes and the nobility in Europe. And of course, you have to understand that those those high pri- the, the high priests of the Vatican, the archbishops, and so on and so forth, they are princes of the church. They have princely titles too, and they have station and, and, and principality and a, and a title of nobility in that system. When all the other serfs and all the other common people basically are just undocumented bastards who can just be used and abused at will, they're the slave class. So that, that's the system that, that Rome has always been worked on, even before the Pope showed up there, even before be, be, before the time of Christ. That, that's you know, that's what Rome is all about. It's about imperial domination. That's what put Christ on the cross. That's a Roman cross. So we have to remember what, what this fight is all about. 
And the people who set up the Constitution had a clear indication of the, the system of despotism and tyranny coming from Rome. Ultimately, Napoleon went down there and arrested the Pope in 1799, right? Wasn't it General Berthier or whatever? And it, and it broke his power. Well, that power was restored in 1933 with Mussolini. So that's something you need to know about. Something we're going to do some more episodes about. But the political power of the principality and the nobility and the, and the titular uh, geopolitical strength of the Vatican city-state was restored in, by, by Mussolini during the, uh, that period, 1933. So that was the Lateran Treaty. So you need to go look that up and see what happened there. So that Pope's power in the international system is restored. You know, he has his own, he's, he's considered the king of his own kingdom there. They create their own currency, they have their own stamps. Like we said before, they have their own system of taxation and police and courts. And when you go to the United Nations, and you look at all the different na nations of the world that are represented there, right? There's the Holy See. So the, the Holy See of the Vatican is considered to be its own nation state. That's something you need to know about. It's about political power that, that establishes a hundred a 200 acre property with a little you know the little the little castle on it and makes the pope a king a religious king a holy monarch right so that's the kind of power that they have going on over there and they're leaning in and playing both sides that's why you see if you go down and look at protests happening at the supreme court they have catholics for abortion and then if you go listen to the other side of the political dialectic you can hear this catholics that are against abortion so it's, the whole point is, is they're for and against everything. If you go look on Twitter and online, you can see that there's priests who are for abortion and there's priests who are against it, right? Like Father you know, Pavone on, on, on the war room. So he, he's against abortion. But if you go look at the, they talk on the other side of their mouth, there's a whole segment of priests who say that they're sticking up for women's rights, right? Especially at the academic level, the priests there are all liberal, or whatever. So, so they just occupy both sides of this, and it's the same thing in Washington D.C. with, with our, our rhinos and our political elites, the political classes who are kind of ruling over us and spending us into the ground, and who are really here to cut our throat. I mean, think about hu how humiliated Biden really is. What it would have just a completely emasculated, worthless shell of a man, and now he's just you know just a seething ball of hate and, and, and psychopathy at this point. His mind is broken. You know, his children are just human wrecks, right? And completely depraved and perverted. I mean, he, he's just totally different than, it's totally sickening. And ultimately, he's now having only the power and the strength to try to cut America's throat as his last act. So we have all these all these 80-year-olds, these George Soros of the world who are, you know, they're, they're not happy just to go into that great night, uh, you know, go into their coffin and go into death and get you know and pass away and in and, and, and gladness and gr gratitude that they had a great life they're just monsters now right they're just holding on to the last remaining seconds of their lives to try to do us like nancy pelosi do as much as harm as they can they might they might live on and on and on but they'll eventually have to go and meet the lord and have to face the the judgment for what they've done so just keep that in mind as we're living our lives we have to remember that we're the lord sees us we're the meek of the world we're going to inherit the future. He sees our plight as poor people or people who started out with a desire to have a free country and, a, and the land of the free and the home of the brave and a constitutional republic. It was built on the ability for all kinds of people of faith to freely practice their own beliefs without being persecuted or without inquisitions of Rome 
or papal masters who, you know what I mean, can lock you into dungeons or, or, or torture you. So that, that, that's the kind of thing that, that's the kind of thing that was the muscle memory and, and the, the recent contemporary experience of the Americans who first showed up here to just get out of there. All right. It was just an escape hatch and they just left. And so I don't think they meant to bring all that here with them, but in many ways, if you look at the Salem witch trials, they did. They brought, they brought a lot of that mentality with them. So ultimately we have to recognize that we're in a fight of the American revolution. We have to stick together and support one another and find ways to, you know, to, to work with our neighbors or a marketplace, you know, go, go to, go to find places to transact with people locally without having to go to Walmart and just constantly spend our money with different organizations and companies who hate us. Same thing with Disney, no more groomers, right? No more funding organizations who are, who are so sick. So here, let's listen to this next clip. Border walls and containment walls. We know the U.S.-Mexico border wall, but actually there are over 70 border walls all around the world, and they're going up every day to either lock in or keep out um, unwanted populations. Mass systems of mass surveillance and tracking, and that's a big theme of global civil war because that's the digital application that makes that possible. Militarized urban policing, power military and private armies and security forces, and then there's direct and structural violence, such as the intensification of, of mass debt, debt, and then um, and then debt collection, violent and state uh, debt collection. There's, we increasingly see the blurring of military and the boundaries between military and civilian forms of the global police state, the, that blurring the boundaries between active war zones and urban civilian theaters. It's the megacities of the world that is ground zero for uh, global police state. Uh, I don't know how much detail you'd like me to speak about, but here's some dramatic data. I will interrupt if I'm going into too much detail. Um, 140 countries passed these so-called anti-terrorism wars after 2001. Uh, and, and, and almost in all cases, they are still in place and they allow for these, this global police state. Um, in California, where you're interviewing me, I'm here in Los Angeles. Um, there's no less than 592 laws restricting standing, sitting, resting, sleeping, panhandling, food sharing uh, in public spaces. So this is a way in which global police state now increasingly controls our public spaces. And of course, that's aimed that the marginalized population surplus humanity, um, getting them out of sight. Uh, but it's also aimed at the left and a popular mass rebellion and mobilizations because it's a way of further controlling public space. And now with digitalization, that has been greatly uh, in, uh, enhanced. So that's some of the dimensions of the this first aspect of global police state, which is an incredible intensification of uh, systems of transnational repression and social control. But here's the second dimension which people are less aware of and it's equally uh, important and it's how global police state is unbelievably profitable. And this is what I, at a time of stagnation in the global economy, this is what I call militarized accumulation or accumulation by repression. And we know that the events of September 11 of 2001 led to this much more sweeping militarization of the global economy and society. We've been living in a global war economy. What Ukraine, the Ukraine conflict has deepened the global war economy. It's deepened militarized accumulation. Um, 
So the Pentagon budget increased from 1998 to 2011 by 98%, nearly a duplication of that budget. Worldwide, between 2001 and 2022, the global military state spending uh, doubled. And now as well, it's over $2 trillion. But this doesn't include state secret budgets, police and intelligence budgets, homeland security budgets, but even more significantly, because if we included those, we're talking about $2.5 trillion or more. But it doesn't include private corporate spending on global uh, police state, mercenary firms. Um, let, let me um, give you some of this data. In 2018, what we call private military firms, and these are private for-profit companies, basically mercenary companies, and they're deployed all around the world. They participate in hot wars and low-intensity wars in systems of repression. They fuse together with state repression. Um, they defend corporate profit, prof, uh, uh, property, etc. There's these Private military firms employed 15 million people worldwide in 2018. That's the year that my, I finished the research for my book. Um, private police and security forces number 20 million people worldwide. 20 million. That's in one-half countries of the world, they outnumber public police forces. The biometrics industry, which is it's the new biopolitical regime which is emerging post-COVID, post in um, is, was before the pandemic, valued at $35 billion, and it's exponentially growing in the wake of the um, pan pandemic. We now have 200 private prisons on all continents, and that number is rapidly expanding. Here's another piece of data. You know, I'm throwing out all of this data because it's shocking the extent to which the global economy and society has been militarized as a form of profit-making, even when we put aside the issue of the need for the ruling groups to have social control. The European Union border security program spending increased by 3,688% between 2005 and 2016. And you might say, well, this is governments doing that, but this is global corporations running the, these border repression uh, 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 programs. There's also now a multi-billion dollar market for what's called global riot control systems. In fact, one intelligence unit uh, intelligence firm for private intelligence uh, reported, and this is in, in the book, uh, that, quote, there will be a dramatic rise in civil unrest all around the world, and this will generate demand, exponential increase in the demand for riot control uh, uh, systems. So this is some of the dimensions of how the whole global economy is completely militarized as a form of massive profit-making. We want to remember that the war in Ukraine may be a tragedy for the people of Ukraine, for the people of Russia, actually for the world's people, for the world's working people. But it is an unbelievable bonanza for the military-industrial complex and also for the global financial complex, which is tied uh, in with it. Um, and, you know, I thought as well during the pandemic, you know, I'll, I refer to it as the Great Reset. I, I think the lockdowns, in my opinion, were that the they were intentional and their purpose was to wipe out the middle class because they locked down small businesses. But, you know, Amazon and, and um, Walmart and all these big box stores could stay open, Costco, but everyone else, like I, I viewed it as um, this class, as you say, intentionally wiping out the competition, the small businesses, just to, to keep their monopoly. Um, and I also wanted to ask you about, um, I've heard the term algocracy, rule by algorithm. Some, some 
uh, elites have been talking about this system where we would be controlled by a world government surveillance state uh, run by algorithm. And maybe if you could comment on that, you mentioned briefly in your book, this, these transnational state apparatuses, um, which I guess we can also call IGOs, international governmental organizations. Uh, you say they're not to be confused with the global government. Um, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that we are moving into world government with institutions that work in tandem, like World Bank, IMF, UN, EU. Uh, we've got this WHO pandemic treaty, which they're saying wants to take control of sovereign uh, nation states. Um, but, you know, a lot of these private interests are behind this. You, you mentioned a big pharma, Wall Street, Davos, military, industrial complex. What are your thoughts on, um, I don't know if you want to talk about it now or after the pandemic, but this idea of, you know, world government or transnational state apparatuses. Right. I've been writing about uh, transnational, what I call transnational state apparatuses since the, um, since the late 1990s. And, I mean, at this point, there's no doubt whatsoever that transnational capitalist class, let's talk about that for one moment, there are capitalists, small capitalists, medium-sized capitalists, and again, small capitalists have been millions wiped out by the pandemic because the incredible concentration and centralization of capital in the giant global corporations accelerated by the pandemic. But the leading heights of the capitalist worldwide is the transnational capitalist class. They don't recognize that they belong to particular nation states. They operate at a global level. And what they all share, these transnational capitalists around the world, is they want an open global economy where they can freely invest and they interpenetrated uh, across borders all over the world. Uh, so they have been organizing politically and they've been organizing in function of their profit making together across borders for the last 20, 25 years. And they link up with the leading um, political organizations of the transnational elite, including, you mentioned some of them, the World Economic uh, Forum is really the, the nucleus of that political organization. So there absolutely is, whether you want to call it a transnational state, um, but here's the thing. There's a lot of evidence that COVID was also, uh, is also gaining function, uh, has gained a function of properties. Uh, Luke Montague, who is the French virologist who discovered the HIV virus and then for it won the Nobel Prize. In, in medicine, he already identified this gain of function uh, properties. And the, there was a Freedom of Information Act that forced um, the emails of Fauci during the beginnings of the pandemic and the, and the CDC to be released. So those Freedom of Information Act exposed that what Fauci's right-hand man emailed him on the eve of the World Health Organization calling COVID a pandemic, declaring it as a pandemic, emailed him and said, uh-oh, Fauci, we're in trouble because I just reviewed the, the data and this is gain-of-function properties. Now, this came out of the Freedom of Information Act as the email exchange. This is gain-of-function properties, and it was made in Wuhan, and we have helped finance. The National Institute of Health and the CDC have been working with and helping finance the Wuhan lab. And so Fauci responded with damage control. So, but here's the thing. I'm not suggesting that this is an intentional pandemic. Um, but the point is that the drive for gain-of-function uh, and the drive to expand vaccine markets in order to make profit is part of the story of the uh, pandemic. Um, but I want to say that the pr prior to COVID, the global vaccine market was valued at $40 billion. And the challenge for Big Pharma, for the medical industrial complex, etc., was how do we dramatically expand that? And now... The global vaccine, I mentioned, $31 billion just in profits, just for Pfizer. So there's this exponential increase in the global vaccine uh, uh, market. Once the pandemic hit, um, these actors 
all came together to launch a particular response to the pandemic, one which would drive private property and intensification of social control. So you saw DARPA. DARPA is the uh, Pentagon's uh, research branch coming together with the pharmaceutical corporations, with the World Health Organization, with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, with the World Economic Forum. They all came together to develop a vaccine. But prior to that, these same actors had been meeting for the last previous 20 years in a series of what they called scenarios. So here's where you get the, you know, the issue of the of a transnational state apparatus. And these scenarios in which they had get, literally gained, just like you have war, the Pentagon has war games to imagine this is how the conflict will unravel, you know, will, will unfold. They, they had all of these scenarios or games in which they're imagining now we're in a pandemic. How are we going to deal with it? How are we going to control it? How are we going to respond? And so I just mentioned, you know, two of them. Going back to 2010, uh, Rockefeller Foundation and the, Bill, the, the Gates Foundation financed a lockstep scenario. And according to that scenario in 2010, that's a decade before the pandemic. Um, they said a pandemic would start with a coronavirus. And here's an actual quote from that scenario. China, the Chinese government was not the only one that took extreme measures to protect its citizens from risk and exposure. During the pandemic, national leaders around the world flexed their authority and imposed airtight rules and restrictions, from the mandatory wearing of face masks to body temperature checks at the entries to communal spaces like train stations and supermarkets. Even after the pandemic faded, this more authoritarian control and oversight of citizens and their activities stuck and even intensified in order to protect themselves from the spread of increasingly global problems from pandemics and transnational terrorism to environmental crises and rising poverty. Leaders around the world took a firmer grip on power. So this is these ruling groups that I mentioned. This is their scenario of how is that going to unfold and they are applauding it. They called for 20 years have been calling for mandatory vaccines and for the entire world's population and are still calling now for mandatory vaccine passports, the corporations, the Gates Foundation, for mandatory vaccine passports all over the world, all over the world. Um, so the point here is not that the pandemic was pre-planned, but rather the plans, and this is the, the clincher, the plans were already in place for a capitalist response to any outbreak uh, involving corporate domination and windfall profits and an intensification of mass social control um, as the new normal. Uh, one other quote here. On the eve of the outbreak, the World Economic Forum, by the way, everything I'm saying here is public knowledge. I mean, none of this is debatable. Right? It's all just simply the facts. The World Economic Forum, the Johns Hopkins University Center for Health Security, which is funded by the Gates Foundation, uh, the Gates Foundation itself, um, a, the World Health Organization, the ex leading executives from the pharmaceutical corporations and government officials, including from the CDC and the uh, Health and Human Services, but also from the CIA and all of the Pentagon apparatus. Okay. All of them came together. This was in fall of 2019, just a few months before the pandemic. And this was the latest of all of these scenarios. Um, and this exercise was called Global Pandemic Exercise. This was literally months, three months, this was September, into early October. So three months before the outbreak in Wuhan. Um, and 
The exercise recommended the following. At the end of it, it said, this is what we recommend. Quote, governments, international organizations, and businesses should plan for how essential corporate capabilities will be utilized during a large-scale pandemic. Governments should partner with private media corporations to develop the ability to flood media with fast, accurate, and consistent information. Trusted, trusted influential private sector employers should create the capacity to readily and reliably augment public messaging, manage rumors and misinformation, and apply credible information to support emergency public communications. Media companies should commit to ensuring that authoritative messages are prioritized and that false messages are suppressed, including through the use of technology. And that's exactly what happened during the pandemic and is still going on. It is transnational capitalist class and the, and the capitalist states which tell us what is the truth and what is not the truth and then censor us and the left has played into this because the left thinks that if you criticize the official narrative coming as it is from capital to capital state that means you're a trump supporter it means you're an anti-vaxxer anti-science uh, it means you're a little bit right wing libertarian etc and that is a lot of nonsense all right so that really is an interesting, you have to listen to the entire uh, interview with the professor there, Professor Robinson. And you can see that we're digging deep to provide a, a wide range of information to really put together the whole network so that the entire puzzle will come together. And we can see that the there is a transnational apparatus, transnational state apparatus that works together, transnational elite. And even though I'm not a socialist like the professor, I can still follow his research and, and enough to understand that that there is something that we have to deal with as a nation um, that's going to become increasingly difficult. And around the world, the Hessian soldiers, the Hessian warriors for hire who are waiting in the wings to be put into action as mercenaries, as United Nations blue hard hat peacekeepers and so on. And you can see that the the growing rise of instability here in the, in the United States is carefully calculated, and these are the, the metrics of eroding and dis destroying a complex and, and powerful society like America, so that they're corrupting the, the youth in the classroom, and they're destroying the foundations of fellowship within society and the fraternity of the different individuals within society is being seeded with hatred and animosity with the just different political demagoguery and these BLM sophistry and the tactics used to create math to bask up the population and create uh, political antagonism. And you can see that they're doing everything they can do to try to bring down American society. And so with this episode, we're just, we're trying to help you to see the larger backdrop of this, the extreme danger that we're in in this country by not having all the information and being ignorant as to the different machinations and the different power players and the principalities and those who are enthroned in the world as monarchs and who are sworn from powerful groups that are centuries and centuries, years old, 500 year old organizations who are sworn to bring an end to, to the history of democratic nationalism in the world and to bring all of the world's population back under control of these ultramontane nobility and aristocracy, the transnational elite who control the resources of the world and who want to control and ultimately um, abort many of us with these the depopulation policies that they're bringing about. And you can see that these are the old aristocracy and papal knighthoods and nobility. And they really haven't changed their stripes. They're still really just the same exact barbarian, 
dark ages, a bloodthirsty despots that they have always been. And we here in America have really learned to become a, a wonderful civil society with rights where the generally the society and the individuals in the society protect each other's rights and are, are and work hard to understand each other's particular freedom and individual sovereignty as a citizen to you know to to expect to be able to participate in society and to vote and to move freely and these are just not the constitution these are not ideals that our enemies understand and so we have to remember individuals like uh, when I was reading Fahrenheit 451 there was individuals Individuals like Latimer and Ridley, who in Oxford, very late, into the 1800s, I think, when uh, people weren't burned at the stake very often, were burned at the stake in Oxford to, to point out that they were not going to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they weren't going to be bullied by the papists who were... Uh, consumed with running around and trying to find out who is a heretic and making accusations to the Inquisition and having uh, the Grand Inquisitor come in and find you know, do, do torture and find guilt and burn people at the stake and this, these were all the the works of of the Papists and the the Roman ritualists as they were called and the Freemen and the Protestants and the, the, the Lutheran and the Baptists were reformers and they weren't going to have any of it and so we have to remember Latimer and Ridley who uh, fought for what America is fighting for now for the freedom of free men to have their own life, liberty, and property in pursuit of happiness. And that's what we're working hard to remember here in this this particular show here in Looking Glass Forum. So thank you once again for coming back and joining with Looking Glass Forum and with the book club here. And we hope to that you'll reach out and give us some feedback and tell us what you think. And also support us. You can go to Cash App and support us there. So thank you, and we hope to see you back here next time.